Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Nailed to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. John 15, 1, the Bible says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Jesus is the true vine. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be here, Lord. And I pray right now that you'd anoint me to say things that would honor you. God, I pray that you'd give us spiritual ears today to hear what you have to say to us. Teach us, God, from your word, by your spirit, Lord. Enlighten our minds. Show us what you would have us to know. We believe in you. We believe in your son, Jesus Christ. We believe that you love your children, Israel, God, and we pray for peace in Jerusalem, and we pray for peace in this place now and ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the true vine. I want you to know that this is probably uh, the – I've said this about other places before. I'm going to lock it down solid. If I had to pick one section of Scripture just to have forever – Uh, If they took all our Bibles from us and said you can have three pages, the three pages I would take would be from John 13 to John 17. This passage of Scripture is known as the upper room discourse or the last teachings of the Lord. From John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, you see a lot of red letters in your red letter Bible. This is the last section of teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples before his crucifixion. And right in the middle of these verse, chapters 13 through 17, we come to chapter 15, and Jesus tells his followers, I am the true vine. Now, if you look back, and we're not going to take time, and I didn't put it in my notes, but if you have your Bible open, you can look at the last phrase at the end of chapter 14. Jesus said, let's get up and go from this place. So Jesus had been teaching that had the washing. He washed his disciples' feet, and they had the Last Supper. He told them that Judas was going to betray him. And then we come to this place where Jesus is walking with his disciples from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. Are you following me? Very important passage of Scripture. Lots of stuff packed into this. I am going to be quick this morning because I've got somewhere that I want us to get to before we leave this place. But Jesus says, let's get up and go at the end of chapter 14. And as they were walking from the upper room... On their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, some theologians believe, myself included, that they walked through the temple gates, and on the temple gates, there was an engraving of a cluster of grapes. Now, the temple gates would have been open at this time 24-7 because of 
the, uh, the, the Passover and the, 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 the time frame where they left the gates open so people could come in and out freely to pray. But as they go through these gates, or if you don't choose to believe that, there are grapes everywhere in that region. Jesus sees grapes and he uses it as a time to teach his disciples some very deep truth. You see, the, the grapevine was always used by God heavily in the Old Testament to be a symbol of his nation of Israel. The grapevine was a symbol of what connected his people to him. And let me tell you, it still is a symbol of what connects his people to him, but we've got a greater look into what that symbol really is all about. In the verse that we read in verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, comma. Always pay attention to the punctuation. When you see a comma, pause and reread it. Think about it. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. When he says he is the true vine, that insinuates to us that there's what? False vines. But theologians really focus in and, and dig down because the wording here is complicated in the original Greek language. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was primarily written in Greek. And the wording here is complex. He said, I am the vine the true, the true vine that God talked about in the Old Testament was simply a type or a foreshadowing of what would be revealed to us in a greater way in the New Testament. And Jesus said, I am truly the one true vine. You thought that as a nation, your nationality connected you to God because it does but if you read in the Old Testament, you'll find out God was constantly referring to his nation of Israel as uh, the, the grapevine and himself connecting them. And it became their national symbol. But I want you to understand today that Jesus is truly the only way to be connected to the Father. And he's teaching them this. See, here's the reason why you need to study, the reason why you need to come to church, the reason why you need to have mentors and leaders uh, to teach you the Bible, because we don't grasp everything that was being said that they grasp because we didn't have their education in the Old Testament. We, we don't have their education in their national origin as the people of God, and when he talked about grapes and when he talked about vines, they understood a lot more than what we see on the surface. And what they understood is what Jesus had already told the Pharisees when he was condemning them in Matthew 21 and telling them, your vine is dead, you did not produce the fruit, and I'm going to let my vineyard out to more people that will produce fruit. And that is some of us, and I hope that you are in that number, but Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am what connects you to the Father. And so much today, people are using a connectivity that is not the true vine. Some people believe what 
will get them to heaven is their parents' religion. I run into this all the time. I talk to people. I ask them, are you a Christian? Oh, my mother uh, is a prophet. My father laid the corners. They, they instantly go into their family, their biological family's religion to try to act like there's some coattails they can ride to get into heaven. Listen, it won't be your mother or your father's faith in Jesus Christ that will get you to heaven. If you get to heaven, it will be because you had a personal connection to the true vine. Somebody ought to say amen. Some people believe that Christianity is a racial religion. There, there are people who have tried to assume racial context that they don't have. When Farrakhan came along in America and tried to convince black people that the, the black people are the true Hebrews of the world, that's foolishness. We, we know by what uh, black people have been uh, labeled as in this country, as they've endured through oppressive labels, now being referred to as African-Americans. Guess where black people in America primarily came from? Africa or Israel? Africa. Common sense tells us that. White people have assumed that they were superior and that, and that their race was the true blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. I've told you that for years. That's ridiculous. Nobody from that part of the world had blonde hair and blue eyes. You can go over there now and see light-skinned Jews. You can see dark-skinned Jews. You can see white Israelites. You can see black Israelites. Why? Because they were dispersed to the four corners of the world, and some of them fled the persecution into Africa. Some of them fled the persecution into Poland and Germany and places like that. And so they, they got this different. But when Jesus was on the planet, Israelites were brown, say brown. Common sense. It, just any cursory look. If you try to make Jewish people white, you show your racism. If you try to make Jewish people black, you show your racism. If you try to make Jewish people anything other than Jewish, you show your racism. But Jews aren't the only ones that think they had a leg up on connection to the one true God because of their race. White people have been playing that for years. Black people have been playing that for years. But there is only one true connection to God, Jesus said in the previous chapter to the one that we're reading that he is the way, the truth, the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. So it's not about your race. It's not about your nationality. It's not even about your religious ideology. And here's the sad truth. Most people only have one of those things that they believe for themselves as a connection to God. They believe it's through their upbringing. They believe it's through their nationality or their set of religious ideology. I came to tell you today that Christianity is not about a head process. It's about something supernatural happening on the inside of you whereby you go from being dead spiritually to coming alive spiritually through the power of the Holy Spirit that changes you from what you were to what you become. Now, if you've never had this life-changing experience. See, the Bible says if anyone is truly in Christ, they have become a new person, that old things pass away and new things come into their life. You can't become a Christian by being 
uh, born into the right family. My children aren't Christians because their father is a pastor. You can't be a Christian because your parents were Christians. You can't be, I've heard people say, well, of course I'm a Christian. We're a Christian nation. Uh, I thank God that President Obama set the record straight and told the whole world, America is not a Christian nation. America is a nation that has Christians, but also has Jews, has people of all types of faith and of no faith. You can't be a Christian because you think America is a Christian nation. The only thing that will truly cause you to be a Christian is if you are connected to the true vine. We're going to look maybe over the next couple of weeks at some of these further verses that we won't get into today, but I want you to think with me about this verse. Jesus says that he is the true vine and his father is the gardener. Some translations use the word vine dresser or husbandman or farmer or owner of the vineyard. And I want to make sure that you know Jesus is the vine and God is the owner of the whole vineyard. Mm, that's better than y'all are getting it, but we're going to understand it by and by. And as we go through this uh, teaching over the next couple of weeks, I want you to find yourself inside this teaching that Jesus gives us in John 15. I'll, I'll go ahead and set it up for you, and then we'll get back into this portion of it. Jesus is the vine that connects the branches to the owner of the vineyard. We're the branches. God is the owner. Are you following me? We got Jesus as the vine. We got the born-again followers of Jesus Christ that are connected to him as the branches, and we've got God the Father as the owner of the vineyard. And we need to make sure that we're doing our job because here's the reality. God's already done his. So many people are waiting on something good to happen in their life. If you're born again, you've already had the greatest thing happen to you that's ever going to happen to you. You need to start rejoicing in that, flourishing in that, thriving in that, and being who God saved you to be. Mm, that's better preaching than y'all are staring at the floor about. But as we develop this over the next couple of weeks, and I'm going to use today just to introduce this subject to you, that God is the owner of everything. Jesus is the connection. And if you're born again, you're a branch of the vine that belongs to God. We live in a world where it's easy to see the haters out themselves. They don't have to come out and say they're anti-Christian, that they love the devil. They, they show themselves. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. Fruit is what hangs off the branches. And I want to tell you something. Everywhere you go, people are seeing what's hanging off you. And when you hear somebody say, well, I just want to make sure that I'm living my best life, hater, God is not interested in us living our best life. God is interested in us dying to this life so he can live through us and give glory to his Father. Well, I just believe that my authentic voice needs a platform. You shouldn't be concerned about your authenticity. You should be concerned about whether or not you're born again and is heaven going to be your eternal resting place. 
Well, I just have to speak my truth. If you are concerned with your truth, you can be sure that you have not yet given way to this truth that Jesus is Lord of all and we are to serve him, not ourselves. To, to understand all this properly, we, we need to see the relationship because it goes on in this passage to say that Jesus is the vine and his followers are the branches. Say branches. You're a branch. If you're saved, you're a branch among many branches. Well, I want to be different. You're different because God made you to be a branch. We're not here to promote ourselves. We're here to promote God through the only connecting brand, uh, vine that there is, his son, Jesus Christ. But the, the relationship that the branch has with the vine and the relationship that the vine has with the gardener is what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. And I want to encourage you, be studying John chapter 15. It's not our book of the month. That's the book of Acts. But I want you to be drawing from this because next week I'm going to blow your mind with what the scripture says in John 15 and I want you to get ready for that find what this true relationship is the relationship the branch has to the vine the relationship the vine has to the gardener what the gardener's job is what the vine's job is and what the branch's job is when see here's here's the thing when most people walk past the vineyard they don't normally see the owner. You could drive through places all over the world and go past a grapevine or an apple orchard or an orange grove, and you don't see the owner standing out there saying, Hi, travelers, I own all of this. He's busy doing what he's busy doing. So as people go through their daily travels, they don't, God's not just making himself visible. I've had a lot of people tell me over the years that if God is real, why doesn't he just appear in the sky and let everyone see him? Or why doesn't he just write in giant red letters on a cloud that Jesus is the only way? Hear me good, because God is not desperate for followers. God does not need anyone to follow him. We need God to be our leader. And I hope that you've come to a place in your life where you understand or are beginning to understand that. But when people go past a vineyard, uh, they don't traditionally see the, the man who owns the vineyard. That, that, that's God. People aren't walking around saying, oh, well, there's Jehovah right there. No, because the, the father, the, the owner is busy doing owner stuff. And they really typically don't even see much of the vine. When, when you ride past the vineyard, the thing that catches your eye is not even the vine. The vine represents who? Jesus. Jesus is the vine, but people aren't walking around saying, oh, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. What, what they see when they ride past a vineyard is the fruit. Say fruit. The Bible says that we will be known by the fruit that we bear. I did, I did some looking around at some pictures this week as I, I was trying to let God push this message deep down in my spirit. So I pulled up an image online of some grapes. So let's, let's take a look at that together on the screen this morning. There is, uh, there, there's some grapes. You see some leaves. If you look real close, 
you'll see a branch. You don't see the owner. You, you, you don't see much of the vine at all, but you see the fruit. Say fruit. Take a look at this next picture. Same thing. You, uh, a different picture of grapes. But what is the primary thing that you see there? Sure, there's branches there. Sure, there's leaves there. They're attached to a vine, and somebody owns all of that, but the primary thing that you see is the what? Fruit. You know by looking at that, what, what, what type of vine is that? It's a grape vine. Now, most of us aren't fruit inspectors and experts on what type of trees. Uh, if I don't see something hanging off it, I have no idea of what it is. Well, let's take a look at this next picture and see if we can determine. What, what, type, of, what type of trunk, tree, root do you think is producing this thing hanging off it? That's a what kind of tree? Apples. How do we know that's an apple tree? Because it's got apples hanging off of it. How do people know what you are on the inside? Because of what's hanging off of you. Say, it's hanging off me. It's hanging off you for all of the world to see. And here's what I want us to think about this morning. What are they seeing? Because the old cliche tells a real story, the root declares the fruit. The root exposes, the, the fruit declares the root. The fruit exposes the root. The fruit shows us on the outside what really is happening underground or on the inside. And that is a fantastic picture of the Christian life. That's why Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit, not by where they parked their car on Sunday morning. He said, you'll know them by their fruit, not by the words that they say out of their mouth. He said, you'll know them by their fruit, not by their confession of what they believe or their ability to quote scripture. If, the, if they hung a sign next to that picture right there and said, welcome to my watermelon farm, look at my watermelons. We would know right away the sign is false. Why would we know the sign is false, church? Because we see what's hanging off that tree. It's what? Apples. In the last picture, we saw grapes. You, you couldn't convince someone that that was a potato growing in that picture. You can look at it and you can see that it was grapes. You can look at this and see that it's apples. Let's look at one more picture we're familiar with in the state of Florida. What, what do you think that is right there? It's an orange tree. You don't see the trunk of the tree. You don't see the branches. You don't see the root of it, which brings the nourishment that causes it to be what it is. See, that root is what's down on the inside of us. But the only thing people can see is what is hanging off of us. And here's the sad reality. I'm going to say this and get out of your way early today. People are not seeing the right fruit off most people who claim to be attached to the root. Jesus is the vine that we're attached to. We're the branches, but the fruit is what is visible. Say visible. The fruit is what is visible 
that, that tells us what that really is, who the owner is, what kind of tree it is, because there's lots of different faiths in America, even no faith in America. There's lots of different people who, who are saying this is what we believe. And some churches have thought that their lists of right and wrong will show people what the reality is. I heard a preacher say one night, he said, uh, this Monday night will be sold so, uh, door-to-door soul winning visitation. Y'all know what that means. Uh, men in suits and women in dresses. Men in suits is not the fruit that people... I can't see a suit on someone and say, Christian. I, I, I remember when the holiness movement was big, and the holiness movement needs to still be big because the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord, but he's not talking about our holiness. He's talking about the holiness that we receive when we receive Christ. But I remember going to concerts downtown Jacksonville, and I used to love going to concerts. Jacksonville is the birthplace of Southern rock and roll, and every month in the 70s, big groups would come through Jacksonville. Everybody would come. And, and y'all heard me say it. I loved the announcer. I loved that dude on the microphone. You ought to pay attention to announcers, whether you listen to boxing and you hear Michael Buffer say, let's get ready to rumble, or if you watch uh, MMA and you hear his brother say, it's time. Announcers have always thrilled me, and, and we would go to Jacksonville Coliseum back when it was called the Jacksonville Coliseum, and, and some drugged-out announcer would say, Welcome, everybody, tonight to the Jacksonville Coliseum. We're proud to present in conjunction with Jet Set Enterprises, Blackfoot. And they'd come out, and they would screech loud music. Everybody would get stoned and go home. But when that announcer said, whether he said the Jacksonville Coliseum or whether he said in conjunction with Jet Set Enterprise or if he even pronounced the name of the group, wrong when they came out and showed who they were everybody knew who it was by what they could see and i want to leave you with this this morning what do people see when they see you see it's not about that lady we go to those concerts and there'd always be this lady she was in the holiness movement how do you know pastor i could see it i, I knew what i knew what they valued i knew what their set of uh beliefs were and it was hair to the floor dresses to the floor you go to lunch somewhere. Go to, go to a, a place for lunch today, a busy, crowded place for lunch. If you see some woman with straight, flat, no volume, no body hair, all the way down to her calves, no makeup on, and her dress dragging the ground, you know she's in a holiness movement because they believe in hair to the floor and dresses to the floor. But let me tell you this. I, 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 there used to be a singer when I was growing up. How many of y'all remember Crystal Gale? She had that long hair. She wasn't in the holiness church. She just wanted long hair. Long ha hair to the floor and dresses to the floor do doesn't scream Christian. Men in suits doesn't scream Christian. Women in dresses doesn't scream Christian. I, I grew up in a very fundamental uh, conservative Christian background before I got into the charismatic movement, and then I got into the deep end of that and had to rein it back and just decide we're going to be a Bible-teaching church. But I remember in the us for and no more hyper-fundamental crowd, everybody dressed just like 
each other. Everybody, everybody had on a very plain suit. Everyone had the same glasses on that the preacher, big black rimmed glasses. They all looked the same. Why? Because they believed that they wanted people to see that so they would know who they were. Let me tell you something. It's not in the clothes that you wear. It's not in the color of your skin. It's not in the nation you reside in. The fruit that God wants people to see that will declare who the true root is is plainly outlined in the scripture for us. So back to the question, what do people see hanging off you? When they, when they, the people that know you best, how would they describe you? What would they say about you? When, when, when you walk in to your building, I've been to see people in hospitals and have met their family coming out the door, and I tell them I'm here to see their loved one. Uh, well, who are you? I'm Pastor Scott Becker. Uh, they, they're a member of the church I pass. Oh, they go to church? Listen, if people are surprised that you even go to church, uh, you, you don't have a lot of the right kind of fruit hanging off you. Are you hearing me? If people, if you have to wear a shirt, that's, and I'm not bad on shirts. I got no shade to throw on Christian T-shirts. Got no problem with that at all. But if that's the only thing hanging off your body that's screaming Jesus at people, then that's not fruit. That's just a T-shirt. Mm. Let, let, let's talk about this fruit a uh, little bit. In Galatians chapter 5, the Bible tells us what the fruit of the flesh is and what the fruit of the Spirit is. And I'm asking you today to do a realistic accounting of what's hanging off your life. I'm not saying put your church smile on and pretend you're something that you're not. That's not going to help anybody. People don't need to see us. They need to see the fruit of the Spirit. People don't need to see you or have a piece of your mind. They need to see Christ. He says he has called us to be his ambassadors. That's someone who represents a king to a group of foreign people that don't know who their king is, and you have to represent him well. So in Galatians chapter 5, the, the Bible talks about the fruit of the flesh, and I want to take a look at this list. Do we, do we have that in the sound booth, this, this list of, the, the, of this fruit of the flesh? Here we go. The fruit of the flesh, and, and there's commas between each one, so we got to pause and think about it. This is what hangs off of your life if you are not properly connected to the vine or if you're not living the way God would have his children to live. Sexual immorality. Now, here's the wild thing. There are people in the church just as sexually immoral as there are people outside the church. Can you say amen? Hear me well. We're all capable of being sexually immoral. Can you say amen? Any, one step away from Christ, and we can go to the fruit of the flesh. But Jesus said that you should not live this type of lifestyle. If people see you as sexually immoral, if that's a primary characteristic people see in your life, that's a problem. Say problem. Then we see impurity. There was a grace movement that came to America in the 70s. Dr. Charles Stanley, uh, was no, was it Chuck Swindoll? wrote a book called The Grace Awakening, and it was a great book, and it, it combated legalism, and it said, you don't have to do this, this, and this to be accepted by God. 
God already loves you based on his grace, not on your ability to do the right thing. And it was needed because America was bound in rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, haircuts and dress styles, makeup or no makeup, and things that people don't even uh, talk about in church anymore. But anything taken too far can become heretical. And the grace movement quickly became heretical. Now churches that preach the truth are called legalistic churches. People, churches that preach the truth are, are called religious Pharisees when the reality is what most people call legalism, God calls holiness. Churches in America today are no longer bound by legalism. Churches in America are no longer bound by too strict of a lifestyle. It's too loose if it's anything. It's impurity. And when people see you, if they see impurity, they're not seeing the right fruit, say wrong fruit. Lustful pleasures. All of this hitting around this same area. Then it says idolatry. And I've taught you before in the past that the word idol, which is commonly used to refer to a false god, in its literal translation means no god. When you worship something that is not God, you commit idolatry. Oh, well, I'd never do that. See, in, in Bible times, they talked a lot about uh, asteropoles and totem poles and carved statues and, and sacrificing to false gods. And we say, oh, I would never do that. Oh, America has plenty of idols. You don't have to have carved images in your house. Uh, America worships football. Lost people even say that on TV. You go to ESPN and they'll tell you uh, high school football is a religion in the state of what? Yeah, but it ain't just Texas. It's, a, it's, it's lots of different places. People worship sports. Our young people worship entertainment. They look up to singers. Listen, if you are looking up to people who are sexually immoral, impure, uh, then you have made idols out of human beings, and you are not showing the right type of lifestyle. If you talk more about sports than you talk about the spirit of the living God, you are committing idolatry. Then there's sorcery. Oh, that, that word sorcery is connected to the Greek word uh, uh, pharmacia, where, where we get our word pharmacy, that is related to drugs. Sorcery and drugs are always connected together in the Bible. And we got a lot of people depending on drugs. Now, I'm not telling you to ignore your doctor's advice, but how many of y'all know most people in America that start down that drug path and the doctor tells them one, they think if, if one is good, what, two is better? And then they start using and abusing and then they get caught up into a drug culture we have as a nation a horrible drug problem in this country people want to say well we've got a gun problem listen guns don't jump up off a counter and shoot people mental health issues and drug issues are why we have shooting going on in america you can put a gun in your drawer in your home, and it never hurt anybody in its life. But you put it in the hand of a mentally impaired person, a drug-impaired person, alcohol is a drug. Alcohol is the biggest drug in America, by the way, unless you count caffeine or sugar. But that's a different message for a different time. 
Then look at another fruit. This is stuff people can see in your life. Hostility. Hostility. Quarreling. Oh, and that's always connected to jealousy. You know why people are hostile towards other people? They're jealous. They, 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 they feel like that person's got something or people think that that person's better than them when the root of it is the person thinks that they are better, that that other person is better than them, and they're mad about it. So it creates hostility and it creates quarreling, which manifests in something else people can see. Outbursts of what? Listen, do not ever say of yourself again that, what I have is righteous indignation because I got a news flash for you. You're not that righteous. Neither am I. People in today's church world try to cover up their hostility. They try to cover up their jealousy, their outbursts of anger by saying, well, Jesus made a whip and drove out the money changers. Jesus had righteous indignation because he was that holy. You get that holy, you let me know. I'll make you a T-shirt that says you have righteous indignation. What do people see hanging off your life? Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. I want to do me, me. We live in a do me, me world. Well, it's my life, and I want to live it how I want to live it. The Bible says if you're born again that you are not your own. That your body doesn't even belong to you. The Bible says our bodies have been bought with a price. Jesus paid the price to buy us, to redeem us. That's what redeem means, to buy us unto God. And all selfishness is the wrong kind of fruit people see hanging off the lives of others. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. Listen. Are, are, are Christians capable of these things, somebody? Sure we are. They wouldn't talk to us about it. It wouldn't tell us to put off the works of the flesh if we weren't capable of having things like this in our life. But this should not be what people see in you. This should not be the overriding quality of your life. I love what the last thing in there says. Well, it doesn't say anything about smoking weed, preacher. Well, it does say something about obeying the laws of the land. I got a medical card. You got a medical card for all the drugs you're taking? Listen, I love the last. And other sins like these. If it didn't happen to hit on your main thing, if it didn't happen to say, well, I don't see anything on there uh, about what I do, I, sins like these. Sins what? Sins of the flesh. Things that people will see in your life, things that will begin to be what characterizes you. Now, listen, I know this as good as anybody because I've blown it as much as anybody as a Christian. And I know the pain of having people see something in me that does not declare the root that I know is in me. If you have things going on in your life that you're like, I know this is not who I am on the inside. This ain't me. This is not the, the person God saved me to be. Hear me good. Cut it out. 
This same passage of Scripture, you take some time today and you go read it. Because in chapter 5 of Galatians, it says, Those of us who are his followers have nailed these things to the cross and put them to death. You just make a decision in your mind that you are a branch and that God wants his fruit to shine off your life and people to see it. So you got to put to death these things. you got to say, I, I've done it, but I've repented of it, and I'm not going to let it be the me that people see. Because the only God that most people will see is the fruit hanging off of your life if you profess to be a Christian. Galatians 5 goes on. To contrast the fruit of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we knew that there was a grapevine in those pictures because it had grapes hanging off it. We knew there was an apple tree in those pictures because it had apples hanging off it. Jesus said, people are going to know you by the fruit they see, the things hanging off your life. We just looked at some, some bad things that people see hanging off your life. Now, let's look at what God says the fruit of the Spirit is. This is what should be hanging off your life. Love. Somebody say love. Now, a lot of, a lot of people, and, and, and I'm not sure, and I don't pretend to have all the answers. I'm a work in progress just like you are. I'm learning to know this perfect God just like you are. But the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's singular. And some people teach that the other eight characteristics are all expressions of love. Either way, there is nine of these listed as being fruit of the Spirit, love. Jesus said they'll know that we're his followers because they will see us loving each other. Well, what about the quarrelsome people? Don't look like the right fruit. What about the jealous people? Don't look like the right fruit. What, what about all those sinful people? Don't look like the right fruit. What's the right fruit look like, preacher? Love. The Bible says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. It goes on to say, he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love you want to have some fruit you want you want to show the world what the right fruit looks like you want to be a living display a proper ambassador of god people ought to see love on you not just love but joy oh man i see that love joy peace we used to sing it in, in, in a in a different order we used to sing that song in the old church. I've got peace, love, and joy like a river. I've got peace, love, and joy like a river. I've got peace, love, and joy like a river in my, in my soul. Do you? Do you? Where is it? Where is it? Because what the world is seeing is division. What the world is seeing is outbursts of anger. What the world is seeing is quarreling. What the world is seeing is impurity. And these do not represent our Christ. Oh, but peace, love, and joy. Joy. Y'all know that acronym they taught you in third grade Sunday school. 
Joy stands for Jesus, others than yourself. That's not the world we live in today. It's all about me, me, and mine's. If you would begin to put Jesus first, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? If you put God first, everything else is going to fall into place. We're out there seeking all this other stuff. Well, it's easy for you to say that, Pastor, because you got lots of money. I didn't always have lots of money. I lived in a truck. My wife and I, we were married for 11 years, and 10 of those years we spent living in a trailer on a dirt patch. People want to want to act like their road is. Everybody's got a road. See, you 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 just look at the glory when you don't know the story. the 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 thing is, joy is not dependent on how much money you have. Happiness might be, if you let it, but joy joy is what floods up on the inside of you that 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 says it's better to be poor and honest. Didn't you read that this week in the proverb of the day? It's better to be poor and honest than to be rich and on your way to hell. Man, it shouldn't matter what's going on in your health, in your family, in your country, in in your pocketbook, in your bank account. Listen, if all the bill collectors show up at the same time, if they take the car, the couch, and the key, If you're saved, you can laugh as they leave and say, I got a home in glory land that is better than that Toyota. Hallelujah. People ought to see joy on you. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. The kind of joy that makes people say, how do you do it? How how are you always how you are? It just looks like nothing. Listen, stuff bothers everybody. But some people choose to let that fruit be on display, the right fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Oh, there's a big one, patience. How many people do you know would call you patient? They're just patient. And listen, please stop saying people have the patience of Job. Let me tell you how many people have the patience of Job. Job, one. I had people tell me, oh, Pastor Scott, you you're living like Job. No, I'm not. Nobody, nobody ever had the day Job had. And, and, and not only was Job having a bad day, the devil was attacking everything he had, but God sick the devil on Job. Don't confuse me with Job. I'm not trying. Job, the Bible says in the book of Job that the, the devil uh, came before God. He'd been walking to and fro throughout the earth and told God, all, all your servants are fake, phony liars and they're no good. God's like, hey, check out my boy Job. Shh. I'm not there. You're not either. But you ought to have patience. Well, I just want to know when's it all going to happen for me. Well, you have the wrong kind of fruit, sir. <laughs> You got the whole wrong mindset. That's not patient at all. Patience is a sign of maturity. If you have a grown-up in your car that asks you every 10 minutes when you're on family vacation, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to be? They, you ought to understand they need therapy. Expect it from a children. Children don't have a lot of patience. They're not shining right. 
They're not, they don't have patience dripping off of them. You ought to have patience for everything. I'm ready for the Lord to come back. I truly believe that we are seeing the ramping up of the final battle of this world that will lead to what we, we've been heard talk about Armageddon for so long. Some of you have been in the church for a long time. You've been hearing for the, the, for the last 40, 50 years about a one-world government, a cashless society, microchip. They didn't even have microchips inside anything. Now you can't buy a dog at PetSmart that doesn't have a microchip in it. All that been talked about and talked about and talked about cashless society. I remember 1986, I was in the United States Army. They made everyone in the Army get direct deposit. Y'all remember, remember that? I refused. And every month I had to go not just to my frontline supervisor, not to my first sergeant, I had to go to the command sergeant major of the entire base I was stationed on, sit in front of him, and sign a piece of paper and explain why am I one of only three people to harass him every month with his foolish paperwork. I don't believe in direct deposit, so I made it. And I'd have to listen to him tell me. But then he had to say it was still optional, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not participating in this cashless society. And, but then we watch these commercials come along where they show how convenient it was to pay with Visa, right? And then they show the person paying cash, and everybody's like, oh, man, what kind of Neanderthal will hold me up waiting on change? We don't even have to pull out credit card anymore. I double tap the side of my phone and just go, done, walk off. We good? I tell you, we good? As I'm walking off with my Dr. Pepper. I hear that ding on my phone. I know they hit Apple Pay hard. We've been seeing these signs coming for a long time. I believe we're right here. And we need more than ever to be known by the fruit of the Spirit and not by the fruit of the flesh. This is your choice. You can choose. You, you can be rebellious. You can be hateful. You can just openly declare to the world, I don't love God the way I should. That's why you see all this junk hanging off me. Or you can do what Galatians 5 tells us to do, and you can nail those things to the cross and say, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be full of love. I'm going to be full. How can we be full of joy and live in this world? I, I know people. There are people in this room that have told me, I don't watch the news because it gets me down. How, how can you watch the news and be full of joy? Well, depends on where you get your joy from. If you've got joy because you know Jesus, if you've got joy because you believe that God is real, if he was real yesterday, he's still real today. He's going to be real tomorrow. doesn't matter what the news says. You can still have joy. You can still have peace. I thank God for the children I have. Most people believe my children are are robotic, little do exactly what they say, children that sit still and never talk because they're scared that they're, they're you know, uh, that their father would just go off. Uh, that's not it. I didn't spank my kids half as much as I talk about. Uh, I talk about spanking kids because the Bible talks about spanking kids. I didn't have to spank my children that much. God graced me with compliant children. Some of y'all didn't get that grace. Some, some of y'all didn't give that grace to your mother. My mother had two, two children biologically. She adopted my little brother. Um, 
so there were three of us, but she had a very compliant daughter, that one right there, and a very strong-willed child, this one right here. And I think my mom told me my whole life, boy, I hope you grow up and have five kids just like you. <laughs> and I say, hallelujah, praise you, God, that he gave me compliant children so I can have patience and kindness in my home. Some of y'all with these strong-willed children, listen, don't forget, you should have read it in the book. The rod of punishment will drive foolishness far from the heart of that child. If you beat them with a rod, they shall not die. I'm living proof of that. I've been hit with a bat, a golf club, a coat hanger. None of it killed me. This is what people need to see when patience. Sometimes people test your patience, don't they? But that's an opportunity. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it as an opportunity for you to grow and other people to see God inside of you. This is the kind of fruit ought to be hanging off you. Like, goodness. It, it, it's, it's a sad commentary when, when we have to uh, point to people. I, I got the same person that, 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 that I've got as my, he's just a good guy. If I'm going to say this dude's just a good guy, just a salt of the earth guy, there's so few people that live that example. I've narrowed it down to one out of the 4,000 people that call Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, 4,000 call Abundant Life Christian Fellowship their home church. Yeah. Anybody know who that, who that really good guy is that I know? Dean pointing at the right one. Elder Jimmy pointing at the right one. Scott Mills, he's just a good dude. Where are all the good people at? We ought to all be known that way. And, and, and there are plenty of good people in this church. Um, you know, I wish you'd let it, you know, hang off you a little more. Let me see it every time I see you. Be dripping in goodness. You see, because here's the thing. If we came together, and we were all loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, and good to each other. <laughs> we love coming to church. Mm, I don't know if I can go back there. Mm, I, can't, I can't be around that no more. Well, if you want to see better, do better. Faithfulness. People ought to see you as faithful. I love it when people sit in the same chair. Not so much that they do. We had one member. She's still a member. Uh, she ain't been here in four months, but I'll give y'all a, a hint that way. She so determined it was her chair, we had first-time visitors sitting in her chair, and she told them to get up and move. And she's 80 years old and just figured, and not my mama, she just figured, that's my chair. And asked me, listen, I like when people sit in the same area so I can see you. I know you're here. And, and it reminds me of your faithfulness. But don't make a visitor get out your chair, amen? <laughs> be, be a little more kind than that. Not only faithfulness, but gentleness. Gentleness. See, here's the thing. We, most of us don't know each other uh, more than just in this church relationship, and that's okay. 
The Apostle Paul said, I don't want to know anything about any of y'all except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wasn't going around saying, uh, do you smoke, do you drink, do you chew, do, do, do you watch rated army? He wasn't doing any of that. Listen, but we can get wrong assessments about people. I've had people tell me that they think I'm confrontational. When I probably hate confrontation more than anybody you'll ever meet. Uh, my sister knows this about me because she knows me at a, at, at, at a, at a personal level more than anyone else in the room. It, it doesn't do me well. I lose sleep over confrontation. Uh, that, that's why if you've ever had any level of confrontation, if you've ever seen any level of confrontation, uh, don't, don't lie to Dina Mills. The Bible says you, you, don't, you don't lie to people, you, you lie to the Holy Ghost. Who's always the first person to reach out and apologize in any confrontation this church ever had? Sometimes, every, every person that ever had a problem with this church or with me has at least one to 50 text messages from me seeking reconciliation. There ought to be a gentleness in you that says, we can get through anything. But if you're hard, if you're just like, hmm, if you, you know, you got that Gomer power of religion, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame. Listen, if you fool me 15,000 times, I'm still going to be gentle. And apologize and seek reconciliation and welcome you back in. People say, can I come back? Of course, anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. There, there, pe people confuse the boldness in the pulpit and the courage in confronting wrong would be in confrontation. Man, I just, I just, I just want to leave people alone, be left alone, serve God and go to heaven when I die, amen? And then there's this last one. Is that the last one? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's the last one. And what? <laughs> God puts love in you. God puts joy in you. God puts peace in you. God puts patience in you. God puts kindness in you. God puts goodness in you. God puts faithfulness in you. God puts gentleness in you. This last one isn't spirit control or God control. Self-control. You, you, you really want to get to the, to, to, the, to the real measure of it? Can you control yourself? The Bible says if you can't control your emotions, that you're easier to defeat than a city without walls, an unguarded fortress. I want you to start making a real effort to control yourself. When you feel yourself could go a different way, control that. The Bible says that you can bring every thought captive and force it into the obedience of Christ. You got to get to the place where the hymn writer was that says, I shall not be moved. You got to get to the place where Mother Jones said, You can talk about me as much as you please. I'm going to talk about you on my knees. You do not have to respond evil with evil. God wants the world to see self control off his children. If you ever had children, you ought to understand. You should have told your kids at some point what I had to tell them. I don't care 
Who started it? You honestly think the father cares who started it? No, he just wants it to stop. Stop. It's not the first punch that starts a fight anyway. If, if, if Elder Jimmy walked up to me and just hit me in my face right now, we wouldn't be fighting. We'd just all be looking at him like an evil villain. Praying pastor didn't choke him to death. It's not a fight until the second hit. The first hit doesn't, doesn't start the fight. The first hit shows improper behavior. The retaliation starts the fight. You're not fighting just because someone hits you because you can choose not to hit back. Well, I don't believe you can. I've been there. I've done it. I've been, I've been hit in the face and turned the other cheek. Is it possible? Yeah. I've gone the other way too. Why? Because we have a choice. God said from the very beginning, I put before you today a choice. Come on, Victor. I put to, before you today, every day a choice to obey or to disobey. To choose to let people see you at your worst or God's spirit at his best. And I want for my life, for the people in this church, and for the body of Christ at large to start having visible signs hanging off me. People want to see signs and wonders. It'd be a sign and a wonder. Some of y'all just start being more loving. People want to see signs, wonders, power, miracles. It would be a miracle if some of y'all just be a little more kind. A little more gentle, have some self-control. Jesus is divine. God owns the vineyard. We're the branches. And I want to ask you this in closing. What do people see hanging off you? What do the people that know you say about you? The Bible says go out into all the world and tell them about Jesus. If they don't see something in you that looks like the story you're telling them about, they're not going to believe that your faith is real. And I want every Christian in this room to make a decision to start having fruit that looks like this. They'll know we're Christians by our love. They'll know... That we have love because they'll see joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And we'll exercise self-control when the world's crashing down around us. Well, that just ain't how I'm is. Well, how you is needs to change. And I got great news for you today. God is able to change us. God is able to deliver us. God is able to put his spirit on display so the whole world will know that Jesus is alive. He's divine. Pray with me. God, thank you for showing us the fruit you desire the world to see in us. And I pray, God, you forgive us for representing you poorly. And help us to represent you better in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.